Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar who might have kept one or two things, sort of, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert who prefers the term justice demon, okay? FYI, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Older and Far Away, the 14th episode of season six. Older and Far Away aired on February 12th, 2002 and was written by Drew Z. Greenberg and directed by Michael Gershman. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll offer helpful suggestions while observing from a safe distance. (laughs) We do not joke about eating people in this house, so let's go on patrol. In Older and Far Away, Buffy rushes out on Dawn so she can patrol. Dawn understands. You know, kind of. Buffy kills a demon and gets knocked back so she can't see its essence flow into its sword. She grabs the sword and takes it home. You know, as you do. At the Magic Box, Anya, Xander, and Willow plan Buffy's birthday party for the next night. Xander asks Willow if it's okay to invite Tara and she gives her enthusiastic consent. Dawn comes in wanting someone to go Buffy birthday shopping with her and no one is available. So she has to go steal a leather jacket for Buffy all by herself. The next day at school, she gets called in to see the new guidance counselor who asks about her home life and coming in second only to the time that she invited Vamp Harmony into the house, Dawn makes a huge mystical blunder. I wish I could just make them stop going away. At home, everyone's preparing for Buffy's birthday bash. Buffy has invited a friend from work, Sophie, no last name. Xander and Anya have invited Xander's friend, Richard, and it's only kind of a setup for Buffy because it would be so great if Buffy and Richard hit it off and had babies and then Anya and Xander would have a couple to hang out with. Buffy escapes that awkwardness to welcome Tara to the party. Tara's nervous about seeing Willow again, and as soon as Willow comes down the steps, hey, more awkwardness! Tara escapes to the kitchen to get a drink, and then Spike shows up with Clem, the loose-skinned demon from Kitten Poker Night. Richard shows up, and Xander throws him toward Buffy while Spike gets jealous. Finally, right after presents, Sophie shows up, and just as Dawn closes the door, the guidance counselor steps out from the shadows on the porch, goes all veiny, and says, Wish granted. The party runs late into the night, and Dawn seems happy for the first time and well, forever. Richard tries to flirt with Buffy and fails. Spike mocks Richard and tries to get Buffy's attention in the hallway when Tara walks in and mocks Spike. Willow tries to go out and get beer, but can't. They stay up late playing Monopoly and then decide to have a slumber party. The next morning, it's time to go to work, but they all slowly realize that even though they want to leave, they can't. And, of course, someone takes that personally. Of course you all want to leave, because being stuck in here with me That would really suck, right? Dawn runs upstairs and throws herself on her bed because she's a teenage girl, and that's what teenage girls do. They want to know if Dawn did something, and she says she didn't. But she's glad they can't leave. How else can she get anyone to spend any time with her? When Buffy tries to talk to Dawn about it, we get another one of these. Get out, get out, get out! Everyone assembles in the living room and decides they need to do some magic. Tara says she can do it, but she needs supplies and didn't bring any for obvious reasons. Willow confesses that she has some, and Tara's disappointed, but starts to work on the spell in the kitchen while Richard, he's Xander and Anya's friend, who they set up with Buffy and has pretty much no significance in the episode, so that's why when I said Richard, you went, who? 
Where was I? Oh, yeah. Tara works on the spell in the kitchen while What's-His-Face recaps the situation for everyone. Trapped in a house by, by what, some unseen force or something. Who knows what she's doing in there? I have to tell you, I don't think that's a skin condition. Tara does the spell to release them, but they still can't leave the house. It did work, though, because it released the demon Buffy killed in the cold open out of the sword and into the house. He immediately attacks, slashes Richard through the torso, and then disappears into the floor. Buffy promises they'll be out of there soon, but later that night, they still haven't found a way out, and Richard is upstairs bleeding profusely in Willow's bed. The demon is inside the walls, making growly sounds, and no one knows what to do. Anya panics while Xander comforts her, promising they'll come up with a plan. He goes to get her some water, and then the demon comes out of the wall and grazes him on the arm. I mean, I had a cat dart out from under the bed once and slash all my toes with the little knives that grow on their feet, and it was about that bad. But still, Anya's just about done with this bullshit. We're sitting here with an incredibly powerful witch. Much more powerful than you, Tara. I'm sorry. Only no one seems willing to say it. Anya pushes Willow to do something about the situation, but Willow says she can't. Tara gets between Anya and Willow, and Anya backs off, saying she'll do the magic herself if she has to. Meanwhile, upstairs, Buffy and Dawn finally talk, and Buffy says the same thing the guidance counselor said. Buffy asks if the guidance counselor is new. Dawn says yes. Buffy asks if maybe Dawn expressed a wish to this guidance counselor. <laughs> Dawn says maybe. <laughs> Buffy puts two and Halfrak together, but before she can do anything, they hear noises from Dawn's room where Anya is ransacking through her stuff, looking for a clue as to what's happening and finding instead all the stolen goods. Dawn runs downstairs and Anya follows, berating her until Buffy mentions the guidance counselor and Anya figures it all out. Halfrek, a vengeance demon. You made a wish to a vengeance demon. The only person who can break a vengeance spell is the demon who cast it, so Anya summons Halfrek, who is immediately stabbed through the gut by the wall demon. Buffy takes out the wall demon, stabs him with the sword, and this time, when his essence flows into the sword, she breaks it in half, and I guess that's it for that dude. I mean, who needs research anyway? Halfrek stands up annoyed, but not actually hurt, so thus ends that fake out, and and proceeds to lecture them all about Dawn's pain and how she could hear her crying out all over town and no one has any empathy for Dawn except her yada yada yada. She tells them they all deserve to be stuck there together forever for ignoring Dawn's needs. And I'm sure Dawn needs to be stuck there forever in a house with nine people never hanging out with anyone her age and not finishing high school. God, vengeance demons are so short-sighted. We prefer a justice demon. Okay, FYI. Hallie lectures everyone and then tries to leave but she can't. She's stuck there too. Whoops. She ends the spell and everyone leaves. Buffy stands at the door watching everyone go and then looks at Dawn. She smiles and slowly closes the door, ready to spend some quality time with her little sister. All right, Noelle, so here we are, older and far away in the middle of season six, and uh, it's kind of a one-off episode. It's a bottle episode, kind of interesting. I am curious to know how you feel about this episode. I loved this episode. I am so glad. I find this episode absolutely delightful. Um, my heart just breaks for Dawn. She yeah. just wants someone to spend some time with her, to want <laughs> to stay with her. I mean, come on. Um, but the simultaneous awkwardness and grace of Tara might be my favorite thing on this show, period, full stop. And we get heaps of it in this episode. I'm so oh excited. Oh, my God. 
This is such a great Tara episode. So yeah, we are definitely going to talk about that in detail. Um, it's funny because this episode for me, like it's, it's not a bad episode, but I never remember it fondly in the run. Whenever I come up on it, I'm like, oh, this one, you know, and I think maybe it's because it treads so heavily on guilt, which is not a fun emotion for me. Oh. Um, but overall, I mean, it's not a terrible episode. We get amazing Tara in this, which I absolutely love. I really like the Anya that we get too. And I mean, my God, we get more Halfrex. So awesome. Like, yeah. I'm very excited about that. Always so, glad to see Halfrex. Always. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I really don't ever remember remember this episode fondly. And yet the only when I'm talking about it, I'm like, Oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like mm -hmm. this. Like, it's just it's one of those episodes for me that I think it's just I think it's just all the guilt. I don't know. Well, and is know. it also maybe because it's a bottle episode that it kind of because it sort of does its own thing? You I don't kinda... I don't mind bottle episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those of you who are unfamiliar, a bottle episode is a television term, meaning an episode with a bunch of characters in one place from which they either do not or cannot escape until the end of the episode. And I think that every modern show has at least one of these in the run of the series. Uh, the Friends episode, the one where no one's ready, was such a hit that they decided to do at least one bottle episode every season for that show. Um, the Frasier episode, My Coffee with Niles from the end of season one, in which all the action takes place in real time at the coffee shop. That is a bottle episode. Um, and a bottle episode does not require real time, but it can be in real time, which tends to make everything feel very much like a one act play. Uh, Bojack Horseman's episode, Free Churro, in which the entire episode um, is Bojack eulogizing his dead mother um, with some breaks for flashbacks. But overall, like that is also a bottle episode. Um, and here we are in older and far away and this is absolutely a bottle episode um so these episodes force characters to be together for an uncomfortable period of time um, <laughs> and that opens up opportunities for drama and or comedy um plus i think as a writer it would be a really when you've been writing a series for like five seasons and they're like oh do a bottle episode like that could mm -hmm. be really fun um these episodes also tend to be budget friendly uh except for when the x-files does it apparently because <laughs> darkness falls and ice reportedly went like way over budget um but here like the classic claustrophobic tension of a bottle episode doesn't really to me like feel like it comes into play because while we're at buffy's house for two days we're in a number of different actual sets we're in the living room we're in the kitchen we're in the bedroom we're in the dining room um it's a bottle episode mm. that to me doesn't feel like a bottle episode did you sense that or did you feel the bottleness of the episode well honestly what i felt was the the weird topical nature of we're all in the house and we can't leave <laughs> I was like wow that you rings so differently funny. I um, did not even <laughs> I cannot believe in this day of coronavirus that I did not even make that association it didn't hit me I was like yeah they're just in the house like, yeah oh yeah. my god you're right but yeah. all in the house and can't leave I don't know it that mm -hmm. I I noticed that odd synchronicity mm. more yeah. than I noticed it being a bottle episode um I love a bottle <laughs> episode though I love I love oh, yeah. we're gonna stay in one location and just hang out for right you know mm -hmm. the duration of the episode but no it doesn't feel for, for a story that is ostensibly about we're all in the house and we can't leave it doesn't feel closed off in that way no it doesn't mm -hmm. um yeah and maybe I don't know and maybe it's partly because there's just so much going on like yeah. there are all of these all of these relationships 
play out in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see different combinations of people, the whole set, like the the way the party itself is established is with these different groupings and pairings. And some of them are never acknowledged, like Sophie <laughs> dancing with Clem is just a thing that happens, but it's it, just kind of there. It's yeah. just in the background, mm-hmm. but it, I don't know. It, to me, that sort of adds to the the more openness of a really closed off. Yeah, story well, we've got so many people, type. right? I mean, the thing about a bottle episode is you've got all these people; they're all in space together, and they don't leave. But we actually do leave each other a lot like Buffy will go from the party in the living room into the hallway where mm-hmm. she will flirt with Spike then Tara comes out and Tara gives Spike shit which I absolutely fucking love <gasps> oh my god um and then and then they're in the kitchen and then there's like and then Buffy and Dawn are off by themselves so so we're at the movement of the episode I don't think it necessarily takes advantage of all of the things that a bottle episode can be there's a lot of people in there and we're moving different groupings around you know mm-hmm. um so I I think that it it misses some of the things it technically yes is a bottle episode is it really a bottle episode i mean yeah but yeah you know it's it's a yeah it's a bit it's a bit yes and no so um, it doesn't feel to me like a bottle episode i don't have that like claustrophobic thing um but i think that we should start yes with what is for me like the best you know i'm I'm gonna tip my hat a little bit and give away the game that at the end of the episode we talk about the favorite part i'm gonna be talking about tara oh yeah oh yeah i love tara i love all of tara in this episode Mm -hmm. and this feels like the most nuance we've seen from tara in ever Yes. I have an argument about why that is, but you go first. Okay. Well, mostly I just have this list of like every, I just kind of walk with Tara through this episode and it's wonderful. Like we get so much good stuff. We get Tara and Willow's meeting at the door of the house and it is so sweet and so like wonderful to watch, but also hard to watch. I mean, I don't enjoy Buffy bailing on that. Especially, yeah, after especially right as she's like, you know, we'll Tara. be here for you. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Especially after inviting Tara and then saying, yeah, we're, you know, we're here to support you and knowing mm-hmm. that it would be potentially awkward. But I do like that Buffy leaves because it gives us this chance to see them alone together. Yeah. And the way that they're talking without really talking, they both clearly mm-hmm. wanted to skip to a reunion where they're, you know, friendly and, you know, in love with each other again. Mm-hmm. But they're both kind of intentionally pumping the brakes. And it, yeah. it's one of those scenes that the way it's acted and the way it's shot mm-hmm. really... Like, I'm just imagining what that looked like on the page versus what it looks like on the screen and the Mm -hmm. the transformation that I'm imagining has so much to do with the way that they play that scene and the way that it's shot. I just it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, And of course, both of them are incredibly nervous, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love that that's a shared nervousness. And then Tara flies into the kitchen and just takes the glass of water. I love that so Buffy. much. Just like, yes. who made it? Um, but Tara's just wonderful throughout this episode. She's the first to introduce herself to Clem. Oh, my God. I love her so much. She's wonderful. And, oh, my God, Tara 
egging Spike on a little bit when Buffy leaves with Richard is great. It oh is my, God, my one of my favorite bits, one of my favorite lines. I don't know. He seemed cute. <laughs> that whole <laughs> that whole bit. She's I love it. Clearly, so much. She's, I love it so much. And then Clem pipes up with the perfect reply. Yeah. I think he seemed cute. Yeah. <laughs> This is, I had no time for Clem until that moment. Like, because Clem at this point is just like this goofy demon that, you know, likes to play kitten poker and whatever. But this is a moment where he actually, we get like that sense of him as an actual character. And this makes me love Clem. I still say Clem has no business in this episode because this episode is overcrowded as it is. But um, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about that. I think Clem is kind of a foil for Spike in this episode in a a way. Yeah. Um, But what I love about about that bit in the kitchen is that we see. So we see Tara see Spike Mm -hmm. get sort of jealous. And Tara really seems to enjoy having this knowledge about Spike. Which is yes. like a cheeky side of Tara that I feel like we haven't really seen before. She that loves taking the piss out of Spike. I she love loves it so taking much. the piss out of Spike. The <laughs> I know something you don't know I know look yeah. <laughs> that Tara gives Spike when she sees him and Buffy in the hallway is absolutely priceless. The cramp in your in your pants? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. And then calling him on his cramp BS in the next scene is even better. Uh huh. Maybe yeah. you uh, want to put some ice on it <laughs> with that little so smile. Yeah. And I just I, and I just love that Tara is playing poker with Spike, Xander, and Clem. Like that and, grouping. Yeah, and is so wonderful. Spike shit. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, this is the Tara I have wanted all along. I mean, I love Tara as she is. Yeah, but yeah, I love. Yeah. I love love her in this she's yeah. well because she is so sweet and gentle a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. you know she could easily be that sweet gentle mm-hmm. you know loving supportive girlfriend character but here yeah. she's like i mean taking the piss out of spike is just <laughs> the best but she's also so um the word that comes to mind is responsible, but that's not what I mean. Yeah. Responsible, but also like responsive. She's the one responsive, to check the phones yes. and mm-hmm. determine that they're not working. It's Tara yeah. who has the empathy for Dawn and her anger and reminds everyone that they've all been on the emotional roller coaster of being a teenager. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even earlier when Buffy asks Dawn to close the door after Sophie arrives, Tara just gently touches Dawn on the arm with this mm-hmm. little bit of connection, acknowledgement. And the, the, that subtle characterization of Tara mothering Dawn after having lost her own mother when she was a teenager is a through line that I just love. I love yeah. so much. It's believable. I find it moving, um, maybe in sp- either in spite of or because of the fact that it doesn't feel particularly overdone or called out. It's just kind yeah. of Tara is... To Dawn, Tara is the mom one. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know, it speaks to, maybe it speaks to a kind of uh, friendship dynamic that I've experienced, but I just, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, we get, we like really get all of Tara in this episode. We get her disappointment when she mm-hmm. learns that Willow kept a few magical items around just in case. Like her, her sadness in that moment is palpable Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's it's that sadness anger hybrid, right? Because I think then she yeah. ends up taking out her anger instead of being angry with Willow. She takes out some of her anger and frustration on the spell that she casts. I mean, that is some fierce looking kitchen witchery. She is going to town on those herbs or whatever, you know, whatever it is. She's like mashing that stuff in a bowl like there's no tomorrow. Um, But I love that when Willow explains things later, Tara is both immediately forgiving and also encouraging. She's like, you really you can do it. You not only can you do it, but you did it. Um, and it's just it's such a beautiful moment. Yeah. And of course, you know, Tara, ever practical, Tara the healer, right, is attending to Richard both immediately after <laughs> yes. he's hurt. And then we mm-hmm. see her, you know, taking care of him upstairs on the bed with the mm-hmm. magic of hydrogen peroxide, incidentally, which I just love. Like, this is a situation where you really could use magic. I mean, yeah, maybe they're there out of magical supplies completely, but yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm assuming that that's the reason why Richard is able to get up and leave afterward, that Tara may have done some kind of healing spell on him or something. But But I love, yeah, yeah, I love that that we don't, you know, if it happens, we don't see it, obviously, because Richard is, you know, (laughs) Richard. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares No last name, Richard. Yeah, Yeah, nobody cares. cares. Richard Richard Um, is is Brad Pitt light. It's There's nothing about Richard. We need a male model guy who will have no influence on the story whatsoever. Um, Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Tara, I love Tara with the magic of magic. I love Tara with the magic of hydrogen peroxide and first aid. Mm -hmm. Tara is the one who remains optimistic throughout. She's the one who's convinced that they just haven't found the right solution to the problem yet. And then Tara... Packing up the leftover magical supplies while also being encouraging and forgiving at the same time. Like, it's so great. It's so great. I love it. She's so incredible. I absolutely love her. And here's the thing. This is what I think makes Tara so different is that we actually see Tara having feelings that are about her. Like aside mm. from family, we mm-hmm. have not done that, I think, at all with Tara. I mean, even this whole thing with Willow, when Tara's mad at Willow from a show perspective, it's about Willow. It's not about Tara. Mm. It's not about mm-hmm. the betrayal that she suffered. Aside from, I think, the moment in Once More with Feeling, where she says, you know, I can't believe this disgust, we're done. Yeah. And I just wish I could stay. Yeah. Um, but even that is about setting up, oh my God, this is what Willow's going to be going through. Um, so since then, you know, when we've seen Tara since, you know, they broke up and, and even during the breakup, we are focusing on Willow's pain, not on Tara's pain. Um, when Tara shows up, it's always about someone else. Tara is taking Dawn out for movies and milkshakes and smash. She's spending the night taking care of Dawn and making pancakes and wreck. Uh, Tara bumps into Willow outside the magic box and takes care of Buffy, you mm-hmm. know, in dead things and is there to console Buffy. In this episode and this episode alone, this is when we we see Tara separate from Willow. She's a character in her own right. Mm -hmm. She comes in and that moment is about for the first time ever is about her nervousness. I think gulp is the word, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Is that, that is one of the few times that somebody asks Tara how she's feeling. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Good catch, Lonnie. Like I just... (sighs) 
damn <laughs> right Tara is always so wonderful but she is always a support to the other characters yeah um yeah we follow her to the kitchen and we watch her steal buffy's drink right even buffy's drink in this yeah. episode is fucking about tara and i love it right um she knows about spike and is just amusing herself Right. She is like, I'm yeah. just here having a good time, giving you a hard time. I think he's cute. Um, playing cards with Clem and Spike. I love, I love, love, love when she stands up to Anya. Yeah. And Anya, yeah. you know, by, and I'm going to talk about how much I love Anya in this episode too, but Anya is there challenging Willow on this question that we've had before, which is, is magic like drugs? If doing drugs saved people's lives and mm -hmm. gave you a skill that would save people's lives, we would think about it a little differently, you know? Um, and and uh, so Anya is here thinking about magic differently. And Tara steps in between Anya and Willow and says, you're going to have to go through me. And the last time yeah. that we saw that was when Buffy was standing up for Tara and family. Yeah. She you're said, you're going to have no. to go through me first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we have her, you know, reflecting back that active stance that was taken in her defense right so and she's good. doing that for willow which i fucking love um she does the magic spell which i love of course it goes horribly wrong because it's magic the thing about magic says spike is that there's always consequences right so we've you know we've learned that um and she releases of course the kraken from the um yes from the sword, right? Um, but this is the episode where Tara is her own person. She's her own character. It's wonderful. And the thing that I found kind of interesting as I thought about this is that we're going to see the same transition in Anya after she breaks up with Xander. Mm. So we have these characters who exist solely as support characters because they are the love interests of you know, like mm -hmm. our, our main characters are Willow and our Xander. And then mm -hmm. once they're released from that, they have the space to actually be people. And I find that like, is Buffy saying something about how people get swallowed up in a relationship? Um, because damn, you know, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Well, we do a lot. I mean, we do a lot on this show with relationships mm -hmm. and like who you are in relationship with and whether or not you are in a relationship. So, I mean, yeah. You well, probably find, like, yeah, yeah, how defined we are by relationships, how yeah. validated we are by relationships. I mean, yep. there's a lot of unpacking to be done with the effect of relationships on a person as an individual, you know, when you also become part of a couple. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it's really super interesting, but, um, yeah. Okay. So Dawn. Yeah. So speaking of a ahead. different kind of relationship. Let's move into Dawn a little bit. Now you are a big Dawn defender, are you I not? I love her so much. <laughs> I don't, and I, it might be pathological at this point. Like it's entirely possible. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I have a lot of, I guess I have a lot of empathy for Dawn yeah. mm -hmm. and I have a lot of I have a lot of empathy for teenagers in general, fictional or otherwise, like even when because yeah. even when they're behaving in ways that are really, really difficult to love. Like, I don't think most teenagers want that distance from, mm -hmm. you know, love and connection. It's just that you're brain is on fire and it's not done yeah. yet but your your body sort of looks done and it wants you to act like you're you know <laughs> done it's a it is a trying time and i it is. i i don't know i just appreciate 
I appreciate Dawn and her both insiderness and outsiderness to this, yeah. you know, larger group that she's only yes. kind of part of. You don't know what it's like to be alone. I'm like, Buffy's always alone. Even a crowd of people, Buffy's alone. She's the fucking slayer. She knows what it's like to be alone. But of course, that Dawn doesn't understand that. It's completely understandable. Um, but Dawn, like, here's the thing. I love Dawn. I love Dawn as she is. Like, I love Dawn. Dawn's a fucking badass. When a uh, Queller demon is attacking her sick mother, she gets a <laughs> coat rack and beats the shit out of it. Like, I love she... how much that affected you. You no, have brought that I, up like I know. 17 that times this my... season. That it's is so my or example of why Dawn is awesome. And there's a bunch of things like that that she does. She is badass, right? She's also annoying as fuck. And I understand why people don't like her. I mean, she is pissy in this episode. Well, this is the only way I can get people to ever spend time with me. And da, 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 you know, like all that kind of stuff. And her screechy get out, get out, get out makes one last appearance in this episode and i'm so glad that is the last time i ever have to cut that audio out from anything because oh my god get out get out get out and i'm like oh Aww. my god that's enough you know um also like honestly i don't have a lot of time for this she's a teenager she's a 16 year old you know argument i do in real life when a real mm -hmm. life teenager is acting like an asshole like i get it like <laughs> i remember what that's like and i was recently refreshed on what that's like when i raised two teenagers in my house right so i remember i have empathy i have nothing but empathy but Fiction isn't answerable to reality. You know, she's a character written in a television show and you have to always take that into account as well. Reality is no defense for fiction. So um, if you write a characteristic for a character, it should have story juice. You don't get to wave it off with, well, she's a kid, right? Mm -hmm. um, so one does not come to Buffy the Vampire Slayer for reality. Let's just go ahead. <laughs> and that's part of the reason why season six, I think sometimes does not sit that well with a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but the truth is, um, you know, last season we killed off our conflict vending machine with Joyce, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we're just bringing Dawn in to start pumping out all those sweet, sweet conflict candy bars for us, right? Um, and so that's what irritates me about Dawn is not necessarily Dawn as a character because she's fucking badass and I love her. Um, but it is the way in which Dawn is being used at this point. Now they do turn around and correct this by the time we get to season seven. And I think everything after this episode i'm fairly sure we get from this point forward kick ass dawn mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that we do um but uh but you know like this this whole thing using her as just a conflict vending machine is not working and i'm glad that they kind of knock that off um and then of course you know what is she doing she's a troubled teenage girl of course it's all the lipsticks. It's all the jewelry. It's stealing the leather mm -hmm. jacket for Buffy. The shoplifting is the most cliche kid in trouble bullshit that I have ever seen. I hate every minute of it. It's just so dumb. Although I do like it in this one instance when Anya discovers what she's stolen and feeling that personal betrayal. Yep. I think that that has a little bit of story juice, but I think that was accidental. I don't think that's why they did it. You know, I think it's just kind of like a lazy teenage kid trope at this point. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's I mean, without getting us too zoomed out, like it's a very mm -hmm. it's a very privileged white kid troublemaking kind of mm -hmm. narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, shoplifting and getting away with it is a 
uh, it speaks to a whole bigger conversation. But yeah. 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 No, but, absolutely. But I yeah. do. I appreciate the the personal connection with Anya about, mm-hmm. you know, ha- about half of the stuff is from the magic box. Like that yeah. makes it that that does feel um, more characteristic of, you know, this like the nuanced relationships that we're working on yes. in this season. Yes. I keep mm-hmm. saying it. Um, but season six is the relationship season and it is to make mm-hmm. it to make the shoplifting a personal, a more personal thing by having mm-hmm. it affect Anya, you know, the magic box, but Anya specifically. Um, I think yeah. that's a really good choice. I like that, that we got some story juice out of this terrible, horrible thing, but I still think it's a terrible, horrible Mm -hmm. thing. And, you know, I mean, and had all of this stuff with Dawn been played with a feather instead of a mallet, it might've worked a little nicely. If we've been a little more subtle about Dawn wanting Buffy's attention, you know, if Dawn hadn't thrown a fit about people wanting to leave after being stuck there for a day and come on, she wasn't sick of them at that point. Yeah, I mean, and it's not all of them that she wants the time and attention from. She wants Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we had focused on it being about Buffy hanging around, you know, and everybody else just got caught up in it, I think that might have worked better. Um, and that moment at the end when Buffy closes the door and chooses to stay with Dawn, I think would have had more impact at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I believe this is my like the last uh, space where Dawn um where Dawn is bad, you know, where we, we write her badly. I think they turn that ship around pretty well from this point out, as far as I remember. We'll see if we have any other bad moments, but I don't think we do. I think we just, I think we just turn it around. You know, this yeah. is just it for that. We're just, we're just closing the door on, you know, on everybody outside and also on this very, very stupid storyline that was not necessarily well executed. So I am all for it. I am very pleased with that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, relationships turning around ish mm-hmm. yeah xander and anya in this episode they are it is weirdly sweet, sweet together mm-hmm. with the exception of the slugs are turned off by slug job <laughs> which right clearly but, not appreciating know. her demon roots yeah you know with her blood larva and her slugs you yeah. know yeah i don't understand mm-hmm. why people are so turned off by slug um <laughs> but they seem they seem coupley in a mm-hmm. kind of a sweet way in this episode. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And interestingly, of the two of them, Anya is much more anxious about being trapped in the house. That is for, interesting. I just I found Especially that because Anya is all all for the, you know, marriage. Right. Which can some people right? feel like being trapped in a house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So maybe this is uh, her having some second thoughts about this marriage herself. Yeah. It felt it felt interestingly foreshadowy in that way, especially yeah. I don't think because that's what they're going for. I don't think text, so either. But, yeah. but it is. <laughs> I don't know. It was an interesting mm-hmm. that that felt like an interesting turn. And they are so I don't know that we're he, yeah. we don't really see that friction between them that we've seen he's not talking to down episode. to her in this episode i don't think yeah. he talks down to her at all i don't think he talks down to her once in this episode yeah he's like and he's actually like kind when she's having her panic attack mm-hmm. <laughs> she's having the very human experience of a panic attack um <laughs> he's like 
genuinely kind to her and reassuring and I'm like, why do I feel uncomfortable? What is going on? (laughs) Um, But it's interesting that Anya is the one freaked out about being trapped in the house when we also get the return of Halfrag. And Halfrag Uh, had already planted that seed of, you know, who told you Mm -hmm. it was difficult to love you? What is it that she says? Who told you you were hard to love? Who who told you it wasn't easy to love you? That's what it is. Yeah. 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 So, So, so good. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's good. It's but we get really good Anya in this episode. I mean, for once, she is not just a comedy mule. You know, she mm-hmm. gets to feel fear and anger and betrayal. God, I love that moment when she has that realization that Dawn has been stealing from the magic box from her, you know. Yeah. Um, she's also the one who figures out that it's Halfrick, you know. Yep. Um, she makes a really strong argument for Willow using magic and then has that wonderful standoff with Tara, you know, which yes. I love. And I mean, the thing is, like, I love the fact that Anya is the one to say, hey, you know, um, I realize that Willow's all wigged out on magic, but also she saves people's lives with it all the time. And don't we kind of need that power? Mm -hmm. And she's incredibly powerful. And then she says, you know, she's more powerful than you, Tara. I'm sorry, but she is right. So here is Anya um, explaining all of this, right? You know, coming out and saying the thing that nobody else really wants to say, which is one of the things we love about Anya. Also having a little empathy for the possibility that Tara might be insulted when Anya talks about how incredibly powerful Willow is, um, which is a nice moment for Anya. Um, and then when Willow gets, or when Tara steps in between Willow and Anya and Anya just looks at her and says, fine, I'll do it myself then. And goes Mm -hmm. off to try to figure out what's going on. That's how she ends up in Dawn's room and finding all of the stolen goods. Um, it's so good. I love Anya in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and her little hand dancing at the party. Oh, I know. So ridiculous. I don't know. That is Emma Caulfield. It's, she is a genius. She is so great. And mm-hmm. and her joy for Monopoly. They've been playing for three hours and she's still going strong. <laughs> I'm going to bankrupt somebody. Of course. It's of course capitalism. you do, baby. Of yes. course you do. Love it. Oh, my God. It. She love loves it. it. Um, love Anya. I, I love Frick. I love Callie Roca. Um, so I good. I love... Yeah, it's so great. The one thing, the only thing I don't like about the whole thing is Anya's shock at the sword in the chest, not killing her. I mean, come on. Anya was a vengeance demon for 1200 years. She mm-hmm. has not forgotten the rules, right? Yeah. It's they just do it so we can get that fake out in, you yeah. know, and um, and that I I don't care for the fake out that the second she gets there, you know, um, the guy stabs her through and then we just, you know, break the sword. We instantly know that breaking the sword is going to destroy the demon and not kill the demon, even though we've done no research and we have no idea right. what this demon is about or how totally any of fun. that works. So, you know, whatever, nobody cares about the wall demon. The wall demon is not what they're there to do. <laughs> and the wall demon, like, what is the wall demons even purpose aside from slashing Richard? and like escalating the danger of their stuck in the I mean it's Ugh. a weirdly symbolic demon okay do you I mean yeah, no, go, <laughs> this is the go. goofiest the the goofiest section of my notes but I love it let's do I'm gonna it. I'm gonna scroll on down the script because yeah yeah we I mean weirdly symbolic demon we get mm-hmm. we never get a name or a type yeah. 
Yeah. Um, we don't do any research. We know nothing about it. No research. It. We know nothing. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the demon winds up in the walls of Buffy's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, this is another nod to Buffy's relationship with Spike being a danger to her home life. Mm-hmm. Never take a demon phallus into the house, no matter how shiny it is. <laughs> oh, my God. I love you so much. Never do it. I mean, the whole situation, the whole demon situation is Buffy's poor judgment and hubris, right? Uh-huh. In the cemetery, she quips as though she's scared the demon off. But then when the demon shows up in the house, she claims she killed it. Right. And that could be a moment of continuity or script supervision missing something, but whatever. Mm -hmm. But she delights in the shininess of the sword and takes it home. And I don't know. It seemed shiny. Was it shiny? I mean, I'm not a very good judge, (laughs) but I think it seemed shiny. Yeah, I think it seemed shiny. (laughs) She's... She's real enamored of this shiny demon sword. And then there's this this minor tension all along of Buffy not being ready to come out about her relationship with Spike mm-hmm. and Spike not caring if someone sees or catches on and top that with the running gag about the muscle cramp in Spike's <laughs> pants. And this feels like a seven layer dip of demon penis equals bad messaging. Like Buffy stabbing the wall of her house. <laughs> Come on. Like, it feels really, really um, ham-fisty, but oh, also, my I don't know. You know, and I of course, never the breaking the sword before, across the I knee. It. Oh it's good. I like it. <laughs> and side note, the the yeah. other dude, the only other dude, really, in mm-hmm. the story is Richard, and while I'm not a fan of making fun of people's names as someone with a make-funnable name, this dude is fictional, and a common nickname for Richard is Dick. It's a dick joke. The whole thing is a dick joke. <laughs> oh, my God. I I love that read so much. I cannot even tell you. That is, you have done a lot of brilliant things on this show, but man, that is going to be one of my top five Noel moments on this show. I love that. I have never seen any of that. I will never unsee it no, now you can't from this unsee point it. forward. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, it. I, I absolutely love it. It's a big, <laughs> shiny demon sword. I, I'm a sorry. Big, I, shiny I don't know. All right. So I I honestly following that with anything, I feel like we should just close the show, but I've got more notes. So yeah, we have a lot more notes. (laughs) We have a lot more notes, people. This is not over yet, but that was brilliant. Um, All right. So here's the thing. I have an argument for this episode that Richard, Sophie and Clem are completely extraneous and we don't need them. For one thing, they go against the bottle episode, the claustrophobia of the bottle episode by adding in more people. When you've got a whole ton of people, uh, then it doesn't feel as claustrophobic. It feels feels like it's just you know people moving around um Clem's all right like I like Clem I think it's really cute you know when he says I think he looked cute, I think he looked the, cute. The genuineness of his you know uh, appeal like it's just he's so adorable so I love the read on that line I love everything about it so I love Clem I don't think he belongs in this episode specifically because it is a bottle episode and it should be just them really kind of unable to get away from each other at all but they are able to get away from each other because they can all go to different rooms so yeah whatever um anyway (laughs) Richard is just there to be pretty and make Spike jealous and who cares and when Richard gets stabbed also 
who cares? Like he, he gets stabbed and we're all like, oh no, that guy, you know, whatever. <laughs> I the, mean, the guy yeah. in the red shirt. I mean, like, literally. The red <laughs> shirt. Exactly. They put him in a red shirt for fuck's sake. I mean, come on, you know, and then they drag him upstairs and he's away. Like he's gone from that. So we don't miss him when he's gone. We don't care. Richard doesn't matter. He's just there to make Spike jealous. And that doesn't matter because Spike is insecure in his relationship with Buffy for a million reasons. There does not need to be another dude there for him to be insecure about his relationship with Buffy, like whatever. Also, here we have Anya with this whole freak out and this whole tension about everything, right? Anya's 1200 years old. She has lived through, she's seen some shit, right? She's been yeah. out in the middle of rebellions. We're going to see some flashbacks of her, you know, going through all that. Like, there is no way that she's, you know, freaking out about this, especially because Xander's okay and Xander's the only thing she cares about. Now, if in that moment when someone had gotten sliced, it had been Xander. We have Xander get sliced a little bit later, like on the arm, it's a flesh wound. We have seen Xander mm -hmm. get worse injuries than that, where Anya's like, yeah, whatever, we'll just bandage him up and take him home, you know? Um, but when he gets scratched on the shoulder, then suddenly she's having this reaction. If she was having this reaction after he had gotten sliced through the torso and he was upstairs, you know, in Willow's bed, mm -hmm. um, on mm -hmm. death's bed, you know? Like that's something that I think would have, it would have raised the stakes a little bit. You know, what doesn't raise the stakes? What's his name? Who we don't care about in a red shirt. So we knew he was going to last long anyway. Nobody cares. And then we have Sophie. Okay, look. I am very tired of everyone constantly making jokes about people's dietary needs. All right. First of all, who gives a fuck? Second of all, we live in a world where everyone thinks it's their goddamn business, what you eat and do not eat. And in watching this episode, I finally hit my limit on that bullshit. Fat people are not allowed to ingest anything but salad and water without someone raising a judgmental eyebrow. People who don't eat meat get mocked for eating tofu, which is an excellent source of protein, by the way. Vegans are everyone's goddamn punching bag. And I don't care why you don't eat gluten. I don't care if it's because you'll actually die or because it just makes you feel a little bloated. It is your fucking body. You get to choose what goes into it and what doesn't. And it's nobody else's goddamn business. And stop mocking people for their dietary needs for fuck's sake sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's a thing you hit a thing it just, it's great <laughs> it finally hit me in this when they're making fun of her for that i'm like that's our sophie joke is that she can't have strawberries like and that's supposed to make her like whatever and like it's 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 this whole thing where like you know if you can't have strawberries then somehow like we're making fun of you for being weak and like no if you need an epi pen if a strawberry touches your skin then no you're not being weak it's like saying i don't like to go out and play in traffic because i might die like it is an equivalent of that for people <laughs> leave them alone about what they choose to eat and why they choose to eat it it's none of your fucking business all right so all that said even <laughs> as much as i want to defend sophie on that front uh, Sophie is a big, boring dollop of cold mashed potato. And why is she even there? Sophie is there to see that there is life outside of her mother's <laughs> house and to dance with Clem. That is why Sophie is there. That like no, that's, that's a Sophie, Sophie reason why Sophie <laughs> is there. What is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show reason why Sophie is there? Well, there's that awkward little, I can make friends outside mm -hmm. of my core friend group. Like there is this whole... 
Yeah. You know, every see everybody has a friend outside of the group. It's it's fine. But that's not a Buffy thing. Buffy has never had an insecurity about that ever before. And she does not have an insecurity about it. I know. Now. It's they're just <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, like, you know, oh, I each know. of these characters in and of themselves and the actors are lovely. Do we really need them? I mean, Clem, I think you can make an argument for because Clem's fucking adorable. But Yeah. 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 And he also is part of the world and he also comes back later. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a yeah. there's a whole thing. And he's but, a demon, yeah. but he's like a, you know, he's a cool but he's, he's a, in he's, a season where we are actually accentuating the human evil that happens. Right. I think having a sweet, loving, kind demon, aside from the fact that he likes to eat kittens alive, right? Yeah. Um, with that exception, sure. um, a sweet, kind, you know, like really just affable demon, I yeah. think is not is not a bad choice to make. Bringing them in on the cast, I mean, it would have been nice if he had a a purpose or if he had something that he was, you know, doing with the story or whatever. But meh, you yeah. Know. I mean, that's hashtag fine. not all demons. I guess that's why he's there. Hashtag like, not all demons, Noel. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love, by the way, that you take issue with, like, why are these characters even here? And I yeah. take issue with things like, this is not how addiction works, you guys. <laughs> like, I just love that we're each yeah. kind of, we when we when we lean into something that, like, rubs us the wrong way or takes us out of the narrative, like, it's yeah. so um, uh, personal and specific. <laughs> yes. And you know what? And that is okay. Everybody's relationship with stories is personal and specific, and it should be. So totally. that's why if you love something, you should just love it because you love it for a fucking reason. But all of that said, anybody who's followed me for any amount of time has heard me make that speech before. So we're not going to go down that yellow brick road. But talk <laughs> to me about magic as addiction, because, yeah. Oh, God. Because, again, like, mm-hmm. again. Um, I know. All right. So we have this amazing, amazing scene with mm-hmm. Anya when she's going to confront Willow, right? She is yeah. ever practical mm-hmm. and suggests that they have a super powerful witch who could get them out of the situation with magic, but won't. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Anya give zero shits about Willow's recovery before in mm-hmm. Double Meat Palace when she makes snide remarks in front of Willow about Willow no longer yeah. helping magically with the wedding planning. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like here Anya has more of a point. Willow yeah. says it's dangerous and Anya replies, so is all of us dying. Now, right. I would compromise every single aspect of my recovery if it meant potentially saving a house full of people. I would right. self-harm for the gods. But mm-hmm. that idea points up another way in which this metaphor really Absolutely. does not work. Yep. No one is helping their friends and saving lives when they engage with their addictions. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Unless, as my girlfriend suggested, you're a surgeon who's addicted to surgery. <laughs> and maybe that's part of the idea behind Dexter, yeah. a serial killer who keeps his serial killing in check by serially killing other serial killers. Um, yes. But I mean, but in that in those circumstances, though, like if if your addiction. <sighs> 
I don't know. And again, like, I don't, I don't have like the, the personal experience with this, you know, but, and this is again, why the magic doesn't work for me, because like you take somebody's addiction very, very seriously. And the fact that they're not going to, you know, break that addiction very, very seriously, but Anya's right here because magic isn't an addiction. It is a power. Like yeah. it's a thing you can do. And um, so, yeah, it's, it, we muddy up these lines and the way that Anya does not respect Willow's recovery is bullshit yeah is complete and total bullshit and then we have this complete and total bullshit um you know perspective upon which we make a reasonable argument and that muddies all of this so much and yeah of course you know people are going to feel that personally and i mean and if it were magical addiction as addiction to capability that would be more in line with like the surgeon who's addicted to surgery but Right. It's that is never how the metaphor is nope. presented. It's nope. never presented that way. Like like the potential is there, but it's not presented mm-hmm. that way. And the more I unpack this, the more it mm-hmm. seems like a shaky excuse to punish a young queer woman with superhuman capability uh-huh. on a show about a young woman with superhuman capability. I'm right. not saying Willow's addiction to magic storyline is homophobic, but I'm also not not saying that well okay i mean let's go ahead and unpack a little bit though did we not start out with magic as a metaphor for lesbian sex yep right i mean i think that like i think i don't think you're on shaky ground here noelle i mean it's i think you've got textual uh, arguments i mean (laughs) it sucks because it I love magic as gay sex. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, <laughs> but can then we, you talk can we about please it and see an addiction that hurts you? Yeah. Can we please go back to magic as lesbian sex? I will take right. it. It's come on. <laughs> but right. I just, ooh, mm-hmm. it's so icky. I don't like it. And the confrontation, yeah. that confrontation between Anya and Willow just points up how shaky this is. Now, yeah. I like that Anya starts out practically, like, look, yes. you have this power, you won't use it. And mm-hmm. then Willow, Willow, who has more of an awareness of this than anyone, really, I mm-hmm. think, and is like, no, it is dangerous. And Xander says, "We, well, you know, we can help you. And I think Willow is cognizant at this point of the, it is dangerous for others, too. It's right. not, you know, mm-hmm. her... Her not being able to stop using magic would mean hurting not just herself, but other people. But that mm-hmm. doesn't come up. It's presented as this practical issue. And then Anya, and I like this. I mean, it it stinks, but I like yeah. it from a character's perspective of then Anya gets accusatory, right? And she's like, well, yeah. if you hadn't gotten to, you know, it's like, exactly. basically, it's the you had this gift and uh-huh. you spoiled it. By getting Mm -hmm. addicted to magic, which is such a shitty take. But it's a great, I mean, it's a great hurtful take, I think, for Anya to have in that moment. And then, of course, Tara steps in and is like, the story purpose. You got to go through me. But it kind of kills, it it muddies your metaphor. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, Tara, Tara standing up for Willow literally and coming between Mm -hmm. Anya and Willow physically is so powerful and so beautiful. It almost makes me forgive the whole thing, but it's not, I don't like the metaphor. I haven't liked the metaphor. metaphor. (laughs) I'm going to continue to not like the metaphor. 
It's been bad from jump. I don't you know. know. And, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of things that just kind of rub me the wrong way, but like, yeah, I'll allow it, but I don't like it. Right. The How the hell would the guidance counselor ruse even work? I don't know. I was wondering that myself. Yeah. Like how how would you fake being a guidance counselor to a whole school? And I know demon logic is not our logic. Right. <laughs> um, but as an adult, I do not like the idea of an imposter guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. especially since there's already so much stigma around asking for help. Um, but I don't know, maybe as a teenager, the idea that the guidance counselor or anyone who seemed a little too sincere in their interest in my personal life um, might actually be a tricky trickster vengeance demon would mm-hmm. have worked a little better. Um, yeah. Halfrack, the guidance counselor, though, is like, it's great. I mean, she's a little too sincere and her eye contact is a little too intense. Like, it really. Oh, that's Callie Roca. It's so enjoyable. It. I love her so much. Like, her oh performance God. is so enjoyable, but the, yeah. the whole ruse of it pulls me mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah. And yeah. I know we need, no. we need some way of getting Dawn to make a wish to a vengeance. Sorry, justice demon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and sure, okay. But then Buffy is also immediately suspicious of the guidance counselor when Dawn brings her up. Mm, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, yeah. Because well, Dawn has this moment where she's like, I didn't even know we had guidance counselors. I'm like, you're in high school. You're in high school. Uh, uh, yeah. The guidance counselor is essential to the high school experience. My kids, <laughs> from the time they were freshmen, we knew who the guidance counselor was. We were talking with the guidance counselor. They were like, there's oh, like, you know, you have to take four years of the language if you want to get into college. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You know, there's like compulsory kind of meetings with the guidance there's counselor at a lot of schools. Meetings. Yeah. There's, yes, you know who the guidance counselor is. Um, and also that there's like, you know, counselors there who are counselors to help you or help the kids with their emotional issues and all of that kind of stuff too. Like there's counselors all over the school. Mm-hmm. So first of all, like, I don't even, I didn't even know we had a guidance counselor. <laughs> she doesn't um, even go here. <laughs> like, he doesn't even go here. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, with the vengeance demon, like Anya had the power to create the entire wish verse, right? So, right. like, I'm guessing that Kali Roka or Halfrek has the ability to come in and, like, be like, these are not the guidance counselors. Yeah, exactly. People, I am the guidance. Like, I can see her waving her hand and putting a glamour on and, and making all of that work. But yeah, no, it's complicated. I was like, okay, so what did she come in for the wedding and then decided to, like, uh, you know, either create a guidance counselor <laughs> position that didn't exist or make everybody forget that the old guidance counselor actually existed or like what how she has an how office, <laughs> she, office. Has, she has an office come on and also like like Dawn, like it's one thing for cordelia to make a wish to this strange new girl in school which by the way uh you know could Callie Roca could have done that could have pulled an Anya and been a kid at the school um but oh she's a little older but still you know um I mean like the whole thing is just uh, beyond ridiculous you know and the idea that like she has an office why would Dawn <laughs> not think it's okay to say yeah I wish you know in the middle of an office with a guidance counselor who's clearly you know established so uh, anyway the whole thing, it's its a bit of a jump for Buffy to be able to instantly be like, oh, the guidance counselor, you didn't happen to make a wish, did you? Because we only have seven minutes <laughs> right. left in the show and we got to get this thing moving, right? Because yeah. we spent all that time playing Monopoly, so we don't have any time now to, you know, make anything make sense. But uh, but yeah, but like, I yeah, I do. I'm, I'll happily whistle past like that whole thing for Callie Roca. I'll whistle past the stupid fake out with the, oh my God, she's dead. No, she's not dead. She's a vengeance. 
sorry. Justice Steven. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of delight in just having her there. So mm-hmm. I'll allow it, but... Mm, yeah, it's, I don't like it's, it. it's a little tough. It's a little tough. Um, so we got a little bit to say about the gift giving segment of our yeah. program today. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I noticed the yeah. I just kind of noticed the gifts. It's a birthday episode. There are gifts. Let's talk about them, shall we? Yeah. Um, starting with the battery operated back massager. <laughs> the problem with that joke is that. That is literally a back massager. That is not the kind of massager that people say is a massager, but is not a massager. That is actually a massager. Yeah, like, I suppose <laughs> one of those, like, those bigger... They probably act- weren't allowed to use the one that is actually... You know like, that it yeah. should have been a Hitachi magic wand. It like, absolutely had to be a Hitachi magic wand. Yes. I mean, I guess those... Were they making the rechargeable one in 2002? I don't know. I- Maybe not. No, I think that they I think they weren't allowed. I think standards and practice. I think that was the original joke. Standards and practices wouldn't allow it. They pulled this one in and then they were just like, whatever, we'll just go with it. It's a literal back Um, massager, though. I mean, I guess you could mount it. People are creative with the things they do. I'm sure that people have. You yeah, know, but yeah, yeah, but, um, but that's not the joke. Yeah, it's not a good joke. That joke did not land. No, it's not a good joke. Um, I so okay, so Don. Steals this leather coat yeah. for Buffy. And there's a lot there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a it's a spike adjacent item, which I appreciate. I mean it is kind of spiky. It's, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. very, very buffy. But I yes. love that Dawn shoplifted the coat by wearing it out of the store under her own coat. Oh, like yeah. the that just is so poignant. Like layering something for her sister between her own coat and her body. Like that's intense, you guys. It is. It's it intense. Is. Like not, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to like oh shoplifting. But <laughs> I know, and it is really sweet until you remember that like the the tag is still on it. Yeah. So the alarms went off, and then I guess she just ran. She's fine. I don't know. I don't know. Again, Um, like the privilege mm -hmm. of being a cute white girl. Being Um, a cute white girl. But like the, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the the, that level of like a bid for connection speaks Mm -hmm. to my heart on a deep level. No, it is. It's very sweet. When she takes takes the coat off and then looks at herself in that coat, it's almost like it's a, it's a hug from Buffy because it's going to be Buffy's coat. Yeah. Or like a, like a, a connection to Buffy, like just having yeah. more of a bond yeah. with this sister that yeah. she just wants to stay, like just stay, yeah. stop leaving. It's so, I mean, oh. no. it, it gets me, really sweet. it gets me in my feelings, as does the beautiful weapons chest that Xander makes yeah. for Buffy. Oh I my God. And it also has place for her CDs. For the CDs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. but, but every, like, it gets me in every single one of my feels. What are we doing mm-hmm. with Xander here? What's also, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, oh, no, that, it's sweet. There's yeah. something about that. Um, 
it's very thoughtful it celebrates who she is it gives yeah. her something that she needs and that she can actually use and he made it with his own hands that is yeah. a huge thing it's not like he just went out and bought it he custom made her uh you know a, a thing for her a chest for her weapons i mean that's yeah. wonderful yeah it's, i don't know it gets it gets me I, for I a brief I shining moment, Noel was willing to marry Xander. Um, oh, yeah. he, get, he has some good moments. He really does. He does. <laughs> he does. He's actually pretty okay in this episode. He is pretty Oddly. okay in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Huh. <laughs> All right. So, Noel, what are you wearing? Oh, my gosh. There will be no touching of the pendant. <laughs> Delightful. I mean, great pendant casting. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. that's a weird thing to say. But my eye went directly there in the guidance office. I was like, oh, yeah. her pendant. <laughs> like, nice. Good mm-hmm. job, everybody. Like, well done. <laughs> great teamwork. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and also I just appreciate that there's this thing that, yeah. that vengeance slash justice demons have with their, exactly. their necklaces. The um, jewelry is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's probably something to be said about Don's stealing jewelry mm-hmm. yeah. and the and the connection there, but to the vengeance demon. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't totally. Um, yeah, didn't totally unpack all of that. But I don't know. There's probably yeah. something there. And this is not really a. This is not really a costuming choice necessarily, but it just mm-hmm. it stuck out to me that at the party Xander is wearing one of those stick-on bows like a boutonniere. Oh. It's so sweet. Which is such a it's such a Xander thing to do, but also like I feel like many of us have done this. You take the <laughs> sticky bow, you know, as presents are oh, being yeah. unwrapped, like you take the sticky oh, sure. bow and you stick, stick it, it on right like on your a boutonniere or corsage or yeah. stick it on your head or you know, yeah. whatever. Stick yeah. it on the cat. That's it's great. That's the fun of the little bows. I also really love the red shirt. Like yes. Richard the Red Shirt. Richard you know, the Red I think Shirt. That, that is uh that is unnecessarily on point, you know, yeah. for this dude. Um yeah, it's it's kind of like a fun, a fun episode for for clothing. All right, so Noel, what's your favorite part? Oh gosh. I think off the top of my head, it's uh Tara telling Spike to put some ice on it. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Um, but in one of those like ouchy kind of favorites, I also really adore Dawn's reply to Buffy saying, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. She says, then why do I feel like this? Oh, God. And yeah. like this is so much broader and more general than sad or lonely or depressed mm-hmm. or literally anything else she could have said. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really good line. And Didn't I really Buffy love it. Say that last week. Why do I feel like this? Why do why I do let I... him do these things? Yeah. To why me? do I feel like this? Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. do I feel like this in general? Like it's great. It speaks to that. It's for something for a line that is in itself vague. It is yeah. so beautifully evocative. Like that's yep. I think part of the beauty of that line. It is really, really good. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite part? Tara. Uh, Tara oh, standing yeah. up to Anya, Tara teasing Spike, being a character that exists for her own sake. Love it all. <laughs> Love every minute of it. It's just everything Tara. <laughs> all right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join and connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January producers, 
Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers. So you ever think about not celebrating your birthday? Just to try it, I mean. Stuff is happening for our Patreon supporters. Dr. Kelly Jones and I released our House Story Works discussion of the Queen's Gambit, which is available right now on Patreon for all patrons. $5 and up supporters get access to my new video podcast with Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd. Let's watch Roulette, where we roll a random movie or TV show, watch it, and then react. And for our $10 and up supporters, they get to hang out with us and watch while we record. We have a live audience now. It is kind of awesome having such a good time. Uh, so they get to hang out, watch while we record, and chat with us afterwards. We will be back next time, and so will Riley with... <laughs> as you were the 15th episode of season six. Until then, I don't know. He seemed cute. Was he cute? I mean, I'm not a very good judge, but I think he seemed cute.